Well, as Peter continues in this marvellous letter, he continues to dwell, uh, as I mentioned earlier, on the greatness of the salvation that has been given to every child of God. And it's just really so much on his heart. And as we know, he's writing to these believers that are facing truly awful times. They've been scattered and slandered, blamed for the burning of Rome, and they've been targeted with the most appalling persecution. And so Peter is exhorting them, and also us, to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of what might be happening around them, to keep their eyes fixed upon the Savior and the salvation he brings. And we've been seeing how that the believer's joy is not dependent on circumstances. And even for these believers, even though they've been rejected by the world, Peter reminds them that they've been chosen by God, that they have been brought to know God, that God is with them, and he has promised to provide all that they need. And yes, the world despises the Lord's people. Yes, they are strangers and outcasts who no longer belong here, but there is a great glory to come. And we have been given a heavenly home. And we have been given that prospect of full and final salvation. And so Peter wants his readers to focus on this. The salvation of their souls. This full, final rescue from sin and Satan and death and hell through Jesus Christ alone. And so this gospel really is a, a joyful sound. And the rescue of sinners from those things by the gracious plan and purpose of God is really the great theme of the Bible. And the Bible makes it clear that man is at enmity with God, guilty of rebellion and sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that there is a judgment, that there is an eternity in hell facing those who do not turn to the Lord. And so we, we desperately need to be rescued, to be saved, to be delivered from those things. And, and we can't do it ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Not by any works that we do. Not by any of our own efforts. And the wonderful is the Bible says that God is willing and he is able to save sinners. That he is willing and able to save people like you and me. And salvation is of the Lord and he loves to save. And he has made the way in which we can be rescued. And it's through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his life through his death upon the cross, through his resurrection. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all who call upon his name. And as we saw this morning, this gospel is to be proclaimed throughout the nations to call sinners to repentance and faith in the Savior, to speak to them of the love of God, that indeed they might turn and be saved. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. This is a great gospel. And this wonderful salvation, friends, if we have known it, if God has saved us, it should cause us to praise him, to delight in him, praise for who he is, praise for what he has done, praise for what he is doing. And so if we are believers tonight, we have been blessed beyond measure and all because of sovereign grace and mercy. 
But if we're honest, the tragedy is that we can easily take all of those amazing things for granted. You know, we sing amazing grace, but often we are not amazed by grace. And that is something that we are exhorted in the Scriptures to guard against. We need to keep coming back to the greatness and the joy of salvation. Think of 1 Chronicles 16, 23. It's the same in Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. And that's not just a, an external proclamation, as it were. We need to remind ourselves of that. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves that we indeed might delight in the Lord to keep our, our memories and our thoughts and our hearts fresh in these things. And so Peter is calling his readers, he's calling us to rejoice and delight in the greatness of this salvation. And in it we can know that no matter what happens in this life, however bleak things may be, however bad things might get, if we are saved, if we know Jesus Christ, we can rejoice in our eternal salvation. No matter what might be falling apart around us, the certainty of this is unsurpassed. And here is our hope that is unshakable. Here is where we find that rest for our souls. And Peter, as he's bringing these things under the inspiration of the Spirit, then goes on to speak about the greatness of this salvation, but from different perspectives. And rather than the, the usual view, should we say, of salvation from the perspective of God's intervention, he speaks of this salvation from four very different perspectives. And you see them in our text, verses 10 to 12. Old Testament prophets... Also the Holy Spirit, New Testament apostles, preachers of the gospel, and angels. And all of those things that he mentions are there to show us again the greatness and the amazing reality of the gospel. And so let's look at them together. Firstly, the searching of the Old Testament prophets, and we'll spend most of our time on this tonight. Verse 10, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Now the implication in that verse is that the prophets studied not only their own prophetic writings to know all they could about this promised salvation, but, but all those others that they had access to as well. And for them, this salvation that God would provide for sinners was the greatest theme. It was their passion. It was what they wanted to search, to know more of, to delight in, and to pursue. Now, it's interesting. When Peter speaks of the prophets, he's speaking generally of all the Old Testament prophets appointed by the Lord, who spoke with that authority, thus says the Lord. They have their focus on this salvation. And so they looked for the promises. They looked to the Messiah who would come and believing even though they wouldn't see the fulfillment themselves. You know, we reminded ourselves not so long back that in the Old Testament, you know, the, the gospel is still the same. You know, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, looking ahead to the coming of Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He was glad. You know, so we, in God's grace, we are saved by looking back 
to the coming of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, dying in our place, bearing our sin. In the Old Testament, they looked ahead to the coming of Christ, those who were given to believe. And we all meet at the foot of the cross. And so the Old Testament prophets, they saw that this salvation would go beyond Israel to all the nations of the earth. That was the wonder of it. You see, they knew that God had a plan of salvation for people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, and it was all centered on Messiah, the prophet, priest, king, who will come with great grace. And so their hearts longed to learn all they could of this wonderful prospect. And that's what he says, isn't it? It speaks there of, of the grace that would come. Now, that draws in not only the actual act of salvation in the person and work of Jesus, but the whole scope of God's purpose in salvation. They were taken up with the grace of God, God's blessing and favor on those who did not deserve it, that God had promised this salvation by grace, that Messiah himself would be full of grace. Now, friends, some make a very serious mistake of thinking that there is no grace in the Old Testament. But God is by his very nature gracious. He is the God of all grace in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You know, I could give you so many examples of references to the graciousness of God in the Old Testament. For example, when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord in Exodus 33, God says in part of his response, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God has always been gracious. And the prophets knew God was gracious. But they knew that there was greater grace still to come. Grace embodied in the person and work of the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, to try and show this, I'd like for you just to hear some verses, wonderful verses from Isaiah. Isaiah 45 and verses 20 onwards. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together. You have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell them, bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow, to him men shall come. So Isaiah is speaking of the nations bowing, entering into a salvation of amazing grace, bound up in Messiah. Or think of Isaiah 55, those marvelous verses. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here and your soul shall live. 
Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. They're wonderful verses. The gracious purposes of God to a lost world. The people who once were not a people will now become the people of God. This was grace beyond what the prophets had seen, but it's what they looked for. It is what they trusted. And these prophecies foretell the gracious saving person and work of Messiah, that he would suffer, that he would die on a cross, but that he would triumph and that he would save. You know, the significance of the Old Testament prophecies is seen in the way that the New Testament is full of them to explain the person and work of Jesus. You know, if you were to read through, for example, Paul's letter to the Romans, it's full of quotes from the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets. Whether it's Moses or Joel or Hosea or Isaiah, and he applies them to the Lord Jesus. Romans 9, Paul is speaking about the whole purpose of salvation and how the Old Testament prophets saw Gentiles being saved by grace. And this is what he says, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. And really, that's a, a beautiful explanation of Hosea prophesying that grace will come to Gentiles like you and me. Romans 10, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, quotes Isaiah 28 and Joel 2. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's quoting from the Old Testament, wonderful things. And so many more prophecies which show the great salvation in the Lord Jesus, Messiah, which would save not just Jews who believe, but Gentiles from across the nations. Grace in Christ beyond what they had seen. And so when they prophesied and when they wrote, they did not have the complete scriptures. They had not witnessed the coming of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. They hadn't seen the establishing of the church, which would draw together Jew and Gentile in the Savior. They had not witnessed this amazing grace at work around the world. But Peter says their desire for it was so much that they searched all they could. They knew they were prophesying of this grace, this grace that will come to us, future peoples like you and me, through the Lord Jesus. And their hearts were taken up with Messiah, his suffering, his triumph, his salvation. It's incredible to think that these godly men, chosen of the Lord to be his spokesmen, choice servants of God, those used to contribute significant parts of the word of God were just taken up with this matter of the salvation to come. Consume their hearts 
The language has an intensity. And they inquired and they searched. They couldn't fully understand. Christ had not yet come. But the insights that they did have lit the fire in their hearts. And though they looked to the cross and looked to Messiah, they could not understand it all clearly. Think of what Jesus says in Matthew 13. Assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So there was a, a limit to their understanding. So they had this passionate driving compulsion to understand as much as they could about the greatness of salvation. And we see more about their inquiry in verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So what did they want to know? What person the Messiah would be and when he would come. That's what they wanted to know. If you were an Old Testament prophet and have been given all this stunning information, you'd want to know, well, who is Messiah? Who would he be? When would he come? When will the Savior, judge, prophet, priest, and king come? It's interesting, you know, if you were to go to Matthew 11, John the Baptist, who is recognized as really the last Old Testament prophet, he would send his disciples to Jesus to ask the exact same questions. Who is Messiah? When would he come? And so in prison himself, we looked at it together when we were there, John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Are you the coming one? Is this the time? Are you Messiah? You know, one of the most common titles for Messiah was the coming one, expected one. And how does Jesus answer? Well, he demonstrates his messianic credentials the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And he says in Matthew 11, verses 4 to 5, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John would know the significance of that. Jesus was saying, I am the fulfillment. I am Messiah. And you say, well, why is Peter stressing this to us? Well, his point is that the greatness of this salvation was the focus and heart of the study of the prophets. And if they were so thrilled by it, if they were so eager to get deep into its truth, to understand more of it, how much more precious should it be to us who stand on this side of the cross? Generation after generation, century after century, godly men sought to know what we so often treat so lightly and take for granted. I wonder if we understand that. That's such anticipation, and yet here we are. We have a complete scripture. All the glories of the gospel. The theme of the prophet's study should be the thrill of our hearts, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you see, these things also then take us on to the next element, which is verse 11, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Old Testament prophets, they look to this salvation, but then you add the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the greatness of our salvation is seen in the fact that it is the theme of the Holy Spirit's revelation. 
You see, the prophets received their prophecy from the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, Peter there is giving us another insight into the fact that all revelation is divinely revealed by the Holy Spirit. But if you look at verse 11, it says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And so these prophets wanted to understand the who and when that the Spirit of Christ was indicating regarding the suffering of Messiah and the glories that would follow. And so that's why you have these, these two elements throughout Old Testament prophecy, the sufferings of Christ, that Messiah would die on a cross, that Messiah would be cut off, that Messiah would be pierced, and so many more. They prophesied about the sufferings of Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How else could they have spoken with such accuracy? It was revealed to them. They didn't know the future. It was revealed to them by the Spirit of God. The sufferings of Christ, the glories that would follow. And that's why you also have prophecy about the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, the enthronement of Christ. And so the prophets, inspired of the Spirit, wrote about the suffering of Messiah, the glories that would follow. These are the two themes that you find throughout Old Testament prophecy. And friends, that's also underlined in the very last book of the Bible. Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's a wonderful verse, by the way. And so all true prophecy, in biblical terms, testifies of Christ, his sufferings and his glory, his role as the Savior. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples? Do you remember what he said to them? Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And then here it is. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Do you see the sufferings of Christ, the glories that would follow and then, as we know, he went on to show them all these things in the most wonderful Bible study. The prophetic focus, suffering and glory. And we see that these prophets also had the, the spirit of Christ who was in them. So the spirit was at work in the writers of the Old Testament. Peter revisits this in his second letter. He says, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of Christ moves them to write about this great salvation, inspiring and testifying, and all that the prophets wrote was God-breathed. We should never doubt it, friends, and never doubt the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit revealed this great salvation to those who were ahead. Verse 12, to them it was revealed, but not for their benefit, for ours. But to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported. The message of the gospel was there, but not primarily for their time, but for the fulfillment when Jesus came. You know, you can find wonderful prophecies about the coming of Jesus from the beginning of Scripture. Do you know, one was highlighted to me recently that I'd never really appreciated before like I do now. And it's in Numbers chapter 24. It's a great example. Numbers 24, verse 17. 
And it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Speaking of the future coming of the Lord Jesus, his coming not now, not near, but at the appointed time. You know, Hebrews 11, these, speaking of the patriarchs, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them. So they saw the coming fulfillment, and though not in their time, they believed, they embraced the truth. And so by the inspiration of the Spirit, they were given to prophesy, to see from a distance the time when this great salvation would be accomplished, and it would be for Jew and Gentile in the Lord Jesus. All of this revealed to them by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. A great salvation and it's ours by grace. And then verse 12, the preaching of the apostles, things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So those things preached, this great salvation revealed, inspired by the Spirit, prophesied the suffering of Messiah, the glory that would follow. These things are now preached in this New Testament age, announced through those who have preached the gospel. And in the first instance, Peter is speaking of that apostolic proclamation that established the early church and is our foundation that Jesus is Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, and that now was the day of salvation. All that had been prepared, all that had been anticipated is now here. And so they were able to proclaim now is the day of salvation you know, why did they preach with such, uh, with such clarity and power and desire? Why were they not ashamed of the gospel? Because it says, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Or 1 Corinthians 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined him not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. They realized the privilege of preaching Jesus, the fulfillment of the prophecies, the Savior of whom the Word speaks, and their passion for him, their love for him, saw them give their lives for him in preaching his truth. And then as we finish, the fourth perspective, this is also great salvation, not only because it is prophesied by Old Testament prophets, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and preached by New Testament preachers, apostles, but also it is the theme of the angels, verse 12. Things which angels desire to look into. Friends, I don't know if you've ever thought and taken a moment to think about what it would be like to see what angels see in the spiritual realm. The invisible world, which we know is real, but we cannot see with physical eyes. To see something of the struggle, but also the holiness and perfection and splendor that they have. Well, we might wonder that, but you know what's really incredible? They're wondering about what it's like for us as believers. They're wondering about what it's like to be saved, to be forgiven, to receive the grace of God. And that is staggering. 
These things they desire to look into, matters of salvation which angels desire to look into. And that word desire is so strong. You know, it's not just something that the angels, you know, have a a passing interest in. It's a deep passion. It's a strong impulse. It is a, a desire that's not fulfilled. They want to look into it. It's the same word, by the way, as Peter and John when they ran to the empty tomb and they stooped down and get in to look into the tomb. The angels want that. They want to look into it, a, a driving passion to understand it because they'll never experience it themselves. Holy angels don't need to be saved. Fallen angels cannot be saved. And it's the holy angels that are most in view here. They want to know more so that they can glorify God more. And so their longing isn't just curiosity, it is in order to give God greater glory. And so they they long to look into this gospel. And you know, the holy angels, they've been involved in this salvation in terms of they announced the birth of Jesus. They came to Jesus in his temptation. You know, they were there at the the cross of the resurrection of Christ, his ascension. Now they do the Lord's bidding on behalf of his people. We know that angels rejoice when a sinner is saved. The extension of Christ's kingdom and the gathering in of the church. And not only that, but we're also told that God puts his grace on display to his church. The power of God at work and the angels see it. Ephesians 3.10 Now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers which are in the heavenly places. They see these things and they desire to know more of them. And you know in that great song of heaven Revelation 5, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's the great song of salvation. I wonder if you can sing that tonight. Do you know Jesus for yourself? But then it goes on in verses 11 and 12 of Revelation 5. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The angels join in with this declaration of praise and adoration. They've never experienced it, but they rejoice in its truth. And they've seen it, and they want to see more, looking in that they might give God the glory. And you know the wonder? If you're a believer, you don't just look on these things. You know them. You've received this grace. You know Jesus. And so you have great cause for rejoicing. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, believer, no matter what your trials and your difficulties, the opposition and slander you face, you remember the greatness of your salvation. This salvation which Old Testament prophets searched the Spirit inspired, the apostles proclaimed, and which angels desire to look into. 
And if you're a believer, I ask you tonight, is that salvation precious to you? Or have you slipped into just taking it all for granted? When you were first saved, it was everything to you. But now what's the state of your heart? Do you need that, that fire again, that love for Christ to be rekindled? And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, you go back to the basics. You go back to seeking the Lord and asking for his help, asking him to give you more love for him and more desire for his word and eagerness for him. And remember again the greatness of your salvation because even in the darkest moments, if we are his... We have been blessed immeasurably and we have a wonderful hope ahead. And one day we'll be released from all the troubles and tears to be forever with him, to rejoice and to thank the Lord without hindrance. And what a prospect. When the praise of heaven I hear, loud as thunders to the ear, loud as many waters noise, sweet as harp's melodious voice, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Amen. Amen.